This is it, said Hagrid, coming to a halt. The Leaky Cauldron. It's a famous place. It was a tiny, grubby-looking pub. If Hagrid hadn't pointed it out, Harry wouldn't have noticed it was there. In fact, Harry had the most peculiar feeling that only he and Hagrid could see it. For a famous place, it was very dark and shabby. A few old women were sitting in a corner drinking tiny glasses of sherry. One of them was smoking a long pipe. A little man in a top hat was talking to the old barman, who was quite bald and looked like a gummy walnut. The low buzz of chatter stopped when they walked in. Greetings, fellow nerdish wanderers. Tis I, Nicholas Longbottom, your favourite host, highly achieving Ravenclaw, moderately successful actor, and enjoyer of fine wizarding <laughs> ales. Uh, welcome to Wanderlust, the Harry Potter locations podcast presented by Tour for Muggles. Uh, this is episode number four. And as the name suggests, we are Harry Potter tour guides, who would generally be out on the streets cavorting with wizardry. But now in lockdown, we've devised a new way to bring some pottery fun to your lives uh, through this stunning podcast. It's overseen, of course, by the technical genius that is Nick Ollivander and kept in check by our masterful producer, Steph Black, who is as cunning and intimidating as her name suggests. Uh, you've joined us on an excellent one this week because we're off to the pub. Hooray! Uh, yes! Hey. Which is something I'm sure we've all been craving. Uh, this week, it's the Leaky Cauldron, the famous tavern where it all goes down in the Potterverse. We'll be downing some knowledge about filming locations sipping some trivia about beverages in the wizarding world, vomiting up some intriguing questions, imbibing some of history uh, of the pubs in general, and uh, there is even, this is a real treat, we've got the pleasure of chatting to B.B. Barry, who, uh, when she was younger, witnessed a very special moment from her dad's pub. So if all that doesn't tempt you, then you're barred! Uh, but joining me today are... Hello, I'm Alex Scamander. Uh, I'm a Hufflepuff, and as per usual, I will be talking about how this location is presented in the book and the movies, because ju that's just how my brain works. I just like to think about it, you know, deal with it. So exciting. <laughs> that was really defensive today. Deal with it. <laughs> just deal with it. What are you going to do about it? To deal with it. Someone's unleashed a sassilisk. Hufflepuff. Hello, uh, yo-ho-ho -ho and a bottle of butterbeer, me handsomes. I'm Will Hagrid. Um, I'm a Gryffindor, the uh, most lad-lad-lad of the houses, uh, in honour of which, <laughs> for the duration of this podcast, I shall be working my way through a bottle of Gosnell's London Mead. And uh, I'm going to be talking about secret pub stuff. Ooh. Ooh. And I'm Greta Granger. I'm also a Hufflepuff. I'm drinking tea with nothing else in it but tea. Uh, and I'm going to be bringing some magical muggle info to you all with a classic knockout joke. Would you guys like to hear it? Absolutely. Yes, yes. We would love to hear okay, it. Okay, okay. Like I said, brace yourselves. So, why can't Harry Potter tell the difference between his potions pot and his best friend? I don't know. They're both called Ron. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think he set it up, but there you it's go. A very good joke. So that's so. it, guys. That's how we're kicking off. I do also have a cool Warner Brothers fact, to, uh, just to segue right into that. Uh, so we know recently, guys, that the obviously because we have NHS staff that need to be taken back and forth to hospitals, the Warner Brothers buses that usually take people from the station to the studios are now actually transporting the NHS workers back and forth. Oh, oh that's cool. So they get their own magical yeah. bus. They do. They I wonder whether they still play um, the Mark Williams sort of video whilst they're just going to the hospital <laughs> that it plays every I time mean, you go to the studios. Four. But what's kind of cool with this episode is that this is the first time in the series that we're going to be actually be talking about a location that we go to on the tour. 
which is sort of yes. amazing. Um, because, of course, we're talking about where the Leaky Cauldron was filmed. Well, there's a couple of locations. The first one that they filmed at, we do not go to on the tour, which is, of course, is Leidenhall Market. Now, you see a bit of the market when they almost reach the Leaky Cauldron itself. Mm. Uh, the Leaky Cauldron was filmed at an optician's. I think it still is an opticians, which is sort of amazing. <laughs> like, How ironic, I, because yeah. models can't see it. Oh. oh! Yeah, and to be honest, every time I go to Lane Market, I keep missing it. I always forget where it is, and I, I never see it. So clearly the magic is still there. <laughs> it's very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, of course, to the third movie, they go to a location which we show people on our tour, which, of course, is within Borough Market. Um, now, at the time of filming, of course, it was a flower shop. I'm not going to talk too much about what the film was like at the time, because obviously we know a lot about it, because it's our job to know about this location. But I also want to encourage people, when everything goes back to normal, to come back on our tours. So I don't really <laughs> want to reveal uh, too much about what we talk about. Could we... Build up some suspense by sometimes going, no, Alex, not that fact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't tell them where the gold is buried in Borough Market. What are you doing? <laughs> I always find it weird when I first watched the third movie in the cinema because it's so noticeably different to the entrance in the first movie. Mm. For my young mind, my, what, 13-year-old, 14-year-old mind to cope with this, I decided that that must have been the back entrance to the Leaky Cauldron in, in, in the third movie. I always thought that entrance was the grittier part of the Leaky Cauldron. So it's almost like mm. we met the shiny part of the Leaky Cauldron. It's yeah. a very like, lovely old English Dickensian entrance. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. in the third film, it's like the gritty one. It's dark. Yeah. There's yeah. bricks. The interior uh, was completely constructed by the makers. Stuart Craig, who is the head of the production designers, uh, he did go for like a Tudor-style look, oh. which... I think he did very successfully, but it kind of brings up how wizarding fashion and aesthetic choices just have frozen in time. <laughs> like, it's like fashion just does not exist. But um, uh, so well, yeah, everything was in the studios, including Harry's room in the third movie, which some people kind of assume it was also where the exterior was filmed for the third movie, because of course, Harry does look out of the window at one point onto Borough Market. You see okay. the roof of Borough Market, you see the train lines that goes over it. Uh, now, this was just very clever computer wizardry. Well, funnily enough, we actually have some uh, insider information from someone who was there at the time. Uh, it's a lady called oh. BB. She's a friend of Nick Ollivander. I'm excited. Let's see what she can tell us. So, guys, we've got the pleasure of chatting to BB Barry, who, uh, when she was younger, witnessed a very special moment from her dad's pub, the Wheat Chief, on the 5th and 6th of March 2003. So, hi, BB. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Wanderlust. The Wheat Chief is on Stony Street, a regular spot on our tour for Muggles, uh, two doors down from a very familiar tavern. Indeed. So, and you were there on the day they were filming for the third film. I was, yes. I was very excited. And so, uh, when they were when they were filming there, did you manage to see much of the action? I mean, my, my dad did take me down to the street on an occasion, but it was kind of a time I was meant to be in bed. But the windows in my room, the blinds were meant to be down. Um, but I could, I could see what was going on basically out of my window. Um, so I kept poking my head at the glass so I could see what was going on. Um, wow. And then it's one of my dad's favourite stories because he was down on the street and he just heard they're doing a scene and then someone on a megaphone just went, cut, there is a child in shot in the window. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Someone remove the child and it was just my little head. <laughs> 
Oh, so you had a, you almost had a brief cameo in Harry Potter. Yeah. Do you think that was uh, a little formative point for you? I loved it all going on. But the cool thing about it was because they kind of painted the street and it was such a massive operation, it, it really felt a bit magical. Yeah, it's a really they've really transformed the space, haven't they, into that kind of otherworldly yeah. feel. Do you go back very often to Borough Market? I mean, yeah, well, because I, I work around the corner now. I run a theatre oh. called Cat Space and Cats and Yammers. So, yeah, there's a little plug for Cats and Yammers. Woo! <laughs> so, uh, after all of the filming, did you see The Prisoner of Azkaban uh, in the cinema? I did see it in the cinema. Um, I feel like my family all went together. It's quite. It was quite a short moment when you actually see the wheat sheaf itself. Um, mm. But it kind of went round this corner into Stony Street and we all saw it and went, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Have a massive applause. Yeah. Thank you so much, BB, for having a, a quick chat with us and for your time. Um, and yeah, uh, some amazing insights into the filming of Harry Potter. Um, thank you very much. Woo! Done. <laughs> yeah, that was really interesting. That was so good. <laughs> yeah, that was good, wasn't it? What a cool name as well, Beeb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, moving on from uh, Borough Market, of course, that's not where it was set. J.K. Rowling did actually tell us uh, where the Leaky Cauldron is supposed to be in London. Uh, it, of mm-hmm. course, is on Charing Cross Road. Now, what's odd is that actually in one of the films, you do see. That's where they. That's where they sort of intended it to be. Uh, it's uh, yeah. It's it's near the end, right? Um, uh, well, it's in the sixth movie. Yeah, it's when uh, the Death Eaters fly down to Kinapolivander and they're flying over London. Mm, it's a really quick right. sequence, oh. but they do fly yeah. down. Uh, they go along Charing Cross Road and fly down uh, and break through the wall and go onto Diagon Alley. But J.K. Rowling does seem to really love Charing Cross Road. I think this is for a few reasons. Uh, one, I think, is I believe she worked near there at one point at Amnesty International. That's at least mm-hmm. what my producer Steph Black has told me. It's quite famous for its bookshops. Uh, isn't it along Charing Cross Road, and particularly that just yeah, generally yeah. that area? Oh, the it's it's the book heart of the world, yeah. And J.K. Rowling has said as much that this is kind of why she chose because there was this quote that I read uh, where because when Harry, of course, goes to Charing Cross Road and to get onto Diagon Alley, um, he is transported to another world, as it were. And J.K. Rowling said that's why she chose this area because of all the bookshops. Because when you read a book, you are transported to another world, uh, and that's mm. part of her logic, like that. yeah. That's lovely. Um, but it's, it's definitely an area she seems to know and like a lot, I feel, because there's a pub mm-hmm. uh, just off. It was called the Tottenham. I think it's changed its name now. But in the first of her, of well, Robert Galbraith's book series, which of course is... A, oh, yes. Student, he's, he the goes Cormor there, doesn't Strike, and Strike. He goes to the Tottenham yeah. uh, in the first, mm. first one. And I was excited when I first read this book because I'd just been to the pub for the first time. So when she was describing it, I was thinking... Oh, wow, that is what it looks like. So clearly J.K. Rowling uh, had been in there. Well, yeah, it's cool how you like you go somewhere that you've read about in a book or you have an idea of in your head of what something's like. And then if mm. you go mm. go somewhere that you think, yeah, this is exactly how I uh, pictured it. Yeah. To me, the Leaky Cauldron is kind of like the archetypal, you know, yoldy, kind of uh, rustic-feeling mm. pub. It's J.K.'s equivalent of the moon underwater, which is, um, yes, it is. George Orwell's archetypal pub. But uh, if you are looking for... Uh, you know, a wizardy style pint. I have uh, compiled a brief list of some of my most wizardy pubs. Ooh. Um, mm. The first one I think we've all been to, because I keep dragging you to it, the Spaniards Inn in Hampstead. Um, Love it. 
lovely pub. Dates back to 1585. John Keats penned Ode to a Nightingale in the Garden. So that's very uh, wizardy. There's also uh, in London Bridge area, which is, you know, in the right ballpark, the Mug House, which I think we've all been to again, haven't we? Because, uh, mm, yeah, yeah, lovely yeah. Mug House. Yeah, yeah, we enjoy D&D there. And indeed, in amongst the various uh, curios and things mixed up in there, is a cauldron. So that lends it a bit of credence, doesn't it? <laughs> and then my other choice is Yoldi Cheshire Cheese on Fleet Street. Oh, um, it's a great pub. Yeah. Oh, yes. Mm. I, yes, I love Yoldi yeah, Cheshire Cheese. Yeah. It was rebuilt yeah. in 1667, wasn't it, after the Great Fire of London? It was indeed. It's got like four levels of cellars. Uh, mm. Listeners, if you're in London and you're of age, go to Yoldi Cheshire Cheese. It's glorious. Dickens used to write there. Mm. I love that, that these stories of authors where authors always used to write in pubs. Uh, yes. Like, well, <laughs> drinking. I wonder, like, with how how it affected their writing, sort of doing. Yeah. Obviously, Positively. not really at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the Leaky Cauldron is uh, an example of pubs that are something else as well. Um, and it's great fun because usually uh, it works the other way around. Usually, it's something else, um, ostensibly, and then secretly, it's a pub. You guys know the uh, the speakeasy movement of the 1920s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Alcohol was banned in America on January the 17th, 1920. And uh, so they started selling it illegally and illicitly in uh, cool secret bars called speakeasies or blind pigs. Um, yes. Possibly because the police couldn't see them. Uh, which is fun because we've all been to a pub in Soho called The Blind Pig, which used to do a really good butterbeer cocktail. It did. Mm -hmm. Half a cup of butter. But what's also brilliant is in uh, the first fantastic piece where to find the movie, the speakeasy yeah. there, the wisdom speakeasy, is called The Blind Pig, uh, also. Which I was, oh, I was thought was always like, 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 miss, yeah. missed, missed opportunity, because I always feel like it should have had a slight wizarding twist to it, like, the mm. flying pi blind pig, or something. What a dangerous animal that would be. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it used to be a thing uh, that you'd invite people in to see your striped pig. Um, oh, right. To attract them into your pub. Uh, that's that's the other possible derivation. But, a man about a uh, okay. The best one by miles is New York's Twenty One Club, as is now. Back in the day, it was called uh, Jack and Charlie's Twenty One. So they had a secret wine cellar, which was the uh, the cellar of the building next door, not even their own cellar, um, which was accessed. Wait for it. Through a brick wall. What? Oh. Like the leaky cauldron. Oh, I see. Um, and you'd open the brick wall with a a meat hook, which was secretly a key. Oh, wow. <laughs> this could be the best fact I have ever heard. <laughs> um, the other fun speakeasy Harry Potter connection, uh, there was a, uh, a bootlegger to Congress. Uh, his name was George Cassidy, and when he was arrested, he was wearing a bright green hat, <sighs> like a famous like? Harry Potter political yeah. figure. Ooh. Ooh. Intriguing. I thought it was always bad in the films that Fudge never actually had the green bowler hat. Because they used rotoscope all the time. Oh, um, that would be insane. That would be nightmarish. Uh, they used the, chroma key. The, um, like the green screen thing, you mean? Yeah, so he couldn't have a green bowler hat because it would just be an invisible bit of the top of his head. That does make a lot of sense. Yeah. That would be incredible. In so yeah, yeah. It'd be like four percent of film study students who would get why they were like, oh, "I know yeah, yeah. why that's happened." Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, that there's some. Um, there's loads of uh, modern places which have tried to emulate the the golden age speakeasies. There's one in New York where you go through a phone booth. 
There's lots where you go through public toilets. Uh, one in Buenos Aires, where you go through a fridge that happens to be in a florist. So two of those entrances are the same entrances that the Ministry of Magic use. Oh, that's Crazy. weird. Yeah. It all ties Less back. ministerially. Mm-hmm. There's lots in uh, washing machines in laundromats as well. There's also yeah. lots of London pubs which have secret passages inside them. Interestingly, pubs being used as a front for something else, like the actual Leaky Cauldron, is really rare. Do you guys know the French house? No. No. Oh, it's in Soho. It's a wonderful place. It's a legendary pub. During World War II, the French house was secretly the London headquarters of the French resistance. Oh, this is why it's called the French house. It's the France connection. Oh. That would make sense. The oh, other one, uh, the French house is the more famous of the two. Um, there is another one as well. Uh, the ship in Holborn, originally, when it was founded during the Reformation, when Catholicism was outlawed, um, it wasn't a pub. People would be pretending to go to the pub and drink raucously, but secretly they'd be hearing a Catholic mass said said from behind the bar by a hidden priest who'd come out just to say the mass and then if anyone um guardy came past a lookout would go oh they're coming the priest would disappear into a secret hidden priest hole and everyone would go drink 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 and have a lovely time but if you were to make this dream uh pub of yours will you would of course mm. have to serve uh wizardy beverages to make it truly oh, it magical would. And I've looked into, into the alcoholic beverages that are mentioned in Harry Potter. Obviously, the most famous one is butterbeer. Everyone mm. enjoys a bit mm-hmm. of butterbeer. Tastes a little bit like less sickly butterscotch, is how it's described in the books. Um, and you can obviously get butterbeer at the studios. You can get spellbound butterscotch beer at the Potions Cauldron in York in the shambles. But also, there is, in addition to that, hogshead brew, mead, which you're drinking, um, fire whiskey, of course. Ah, um, uh, yes. Yeah. Ancient ancestral tradition in Scotland and in Edinburgh, where obviously J.K. Rowling lives and wrote much of the book. There are various uh, drinkers in the wizarding world. Hagrid, of course, enjoys a uh, tipple. Malfoy even mm. suggests that he's a drunkard. Slughorn is another big enjoyer, and he uh, drinks at the three broomsticks and jests that he remembers it when it was just one broomstick. Oh, him, Slughorn. <laughs> oh. You can see why he has all those parties, because he is just full of the wind. you swag. Know? He's the life and soul. <laughs> uh, Professor Trelawney, can you guess what her drink is? Is it just tea so she can walk around sharing the grim with everyone? (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That would really bring the mood down. For no reason. Uh, It is, I mean, our, uh, as ever, omniscient producer was correct. She just guessed sherry, and it is. Dumbledore, of course, he likes to drink awful fear-inducing potions in caves. Ron's Uncle Bilius. um, (laughs) That is his tipple of choice. Do you know what Snape likes to drink? Here's a... uh, Uh, Potions? Human tears. I don't... I don't. Uh, no, it's it's when uh, Bellatrix and Narcissa visit him in Spinner's End, uh, Snape actually offers them a few uh, a glass of elf-made wine from the summer of 1996, which oh. Peter Pettigrew brings him. Well, you know who do love to drink? Go on. People who hang out in the Leaky Cauldron. <laughs> uh, speaking of them... Of course, when Harry goes Alex, in... you have become a master of the Segway. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Not I learned from the best, guys. I've learned from all of you. You're all great at it. Uh, obviously, the, the probably the most significant ones we meet are Doris Crockford, mm. God lover. There's Deedless Diggle, who gets a raw deal in all the movies. Mm. Even though, curiously, when I was doing my research, there is a man in the background with a purple top hat in the first film who obviously is supposed mm. to be Deedless. But the most significant, of course, is Quirrell. Uh, Professor Quirrell, 
his first uh, teacher, Harry Meeks. Now, there is a, a lot of confusion around this scene uh, for a lot of Harry Potter fans, partly because of the differences between how they do it in the book and the movie. Uh, because, of course, in the book, Harry shakes hands with him, uh, which he doesn't do in the movie. Does anyone know why Harry's able to shake his hand in the book? Oh, you mean without burning his hand off? Yeah. Because um, Voldemort's facing away? It's actually because Voldemort isn't possessing him at that point in the book. Really? He's not wearing a turban. Because when Harry sees him in Hogwarts for the first time, he notes in the book that he's suddenly wearing a turban. And Quirrell does reveal in his big scene at the end where he just reveals everything. (laughs) He does mention how uh, because Quirrell's there to steal the uh, stone, he fails. And because of that, Voldemort possesses him to stick to him. Whereas, of course, in the film, he's consistent. That is a very good point, though, in that like, if Harry accidentally nudged Quirrell any time that year, would he just be like, burst ah! no! <laughs> 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 Just crumble away. Like, Lovely lesson, sir. I just want to shake your hand. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like piles of Quirrell around yeah. Hogwarts where he's just burnt yeah, off. Like, Stop touching me! <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrible. Uh, well, other people that are in this pub, if I can just segue right in, into this. Um, we also have Tom the bartender mm. as well who makes a, his his feature. Now, I'm, I'm going to voice a question that quite a few people probably have. Between the first film and the third film, what happens to Tom the landlord <laughs> where his entire character completely changes? I mean, it's fine for the actor to change because that happens quite a lot in mm. films and movies. But they change the entire character. So the description for him is in the book that he's old and bold. So one bald, not even bold. I don't know why I said he's bald. Like, old he's a bold. strong guy. Old <laughs> he's <and> bold. So bold. <laughs> he's a brave fella, though age. <laughs> Nobody can. I'll say that for Tom. He's, I mean, he's old, but my God, he's bold. He is bold. He comes in with a sweeping statement every you know day. That bit when Tom like, the barman killed Nagini. <laughs> you know what, guys? I like how I've met your mother. I think it's a good show. And it was like, it's a bold thing to say. I think that's maybe that's why he's changed so much is because between the first and the third he's killed about six horcruxes and like <laughs> <laughs> very bold yeah. <laughs> but yeah yes. he just changes so much like his he suddenly has a humpback which he didn't have before it's, uh, yes he does yeah. look he looks dreadful he's not aged well well actually he's aged all right he loses some years <laughs> just gains you know no hair an, and an awful humpback. Uh, <laughs> he gains no hair. Yeah. I like that. Maybe he has. He works mathematically, Greta. I'm a master of maths. <laughs> <laughs> he gains no hair. Uh, so another one we have is Ian Brown, who is, of course, one of the first things we see in *The Prisoner of Azkaban* when the camera pans across in the leaky cauldron. He's there. Don't know if you remember this. He's there stirring what looks to be like a, a mug of mm. tea or something like that. Yeah, yeah. He, of course, was the lead singer of *The Stone Roses*, which thirteen-year-old me didn't quite get that at the time. Uh-uh. But but what I love is he's reading A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. Brilliant. Now, yes. a lot of people believe that this was actually almost like a, a foreshadowing of the time travel that's going to happen in the film later. That makes sense. Oh, that makes perfect sense. sense. That's great. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But also there's a theory that Stephen Hawking is actually a wizard trying to explain real magic to uh, muggles as uh, science. <laughs> that's a cool idea. Who's ironically uh, played by Eddie Redmayne. Yes, of course. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Oh, there yeah. you go. I was like, in Harry Potter? What? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> that was a scene I did not see. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, just another thing about the Stone Roses guy was that apparently in an interview, Brown said that his son made him do it. So, he wasn't really that keen on it. But his two little boys said, well, you have to do this film. And it's amazing how many Harry Potter actors did Harry Potter <laughs> because their grandchildren yeah. or their children yeah. said, you got to do it. So uh, thank you, thank you, his kids. And also when he he was filming, obviously Daniel Radcliffe is a really big fan of uh, of music. Like I think he plays the guitar. And Daniel Radcliffe was really starstruck by having Ian Brown on the set. So we kind of often followed him around. And they got on so well that in the end, the Stone Roses mentioned Daniel Radcliffe in the sleeve for their, their next album, Solarized. So if you have a look, guys, you will see oh. Daniel Radcliffe mentioned on their album because of that. That's very cool. Yeah. So yeah, Alex, you wanted to say something about <laughs> about the good old my, prolific the, my, lady that is the my favourite patron of the Leaky Cauldron, Doris Crockford. Um, so I was doing a bit of research, obviously, for this podcast you know, to discuss who gets shown in the film and who gets shown mm. in the book. And obviously, Do- Doris Crockford, uh, apart from Quirrell, is the only one who pops up in both. Oh, apart from Tom, mm. obviously. But there's this rumour. So Doris Crockford is actually uncredited. Uh, in the movie. No one actually seems to know who played her. And there was this rumour that it was, in fact, J.K. Rowling who played her in, this, in the first film. Really? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? J.K. Rowling had to tell people, no, that isn't me. <laughs> what uh, an odd rumour. Isn't that strange? People really wanted And I did even be more in. digging, and there's a German dubbing site who said the act- actor who played her was Nina Jung, who was the same actor who played the Grey Lady in the first two films. And again, it's not her at all. They don't look remotely similar. <laughs> so there's this bizarre mystery around the actor who played Doris. Do you think maybe who are you? She so, just wandered in, and they were yeah. too polite to be like, "Madam, please leave." <laughs> <laughs> so if if the woman who's playing Doris Crockford is listening to this podcast, please write in to us <laughs> and tell us who you are. Yeah, <laughs> please. Well, you know, earlier when you were like, you know, the Leaky Cauldron's a front because obviously it's the secret portal to Diagon Alley <laughs> and so forth, and Muggles can't mm. really see it. But if you had like a perceptive Muggle who just wandered in. Would they just be like, oh, yes, come sit with us and drink? And- <laughs> Actually, JK did write an essay on this. Uh, it's on Wizarding World that's really potable. Mm. Oh, um, mm. yeah, yeah. She went into quite a lot of detail about the uh, the Leaky Cauldron backstory. When it was first built, pre-Charing Cross Road, um, it was a mix of wizards and muggles. Then um, the need to be more secret um, came about with the, the, the whole unpleasantness. Then they built Charing Cross mm. Road. Uh, and there was a, a big meeting about, oh, we can't save the Charing Cross Road this time. And the wizarding community all pulled together and, um, <laughs> it is rumoured, obliviated some of... Uh, not obliviated, uh, sorry. Um, Imperio? Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes. Um, the Imperio? Yeah, um, oh, wow. It is rumoured, says J.K. Rowling on, in her essay on this, um, that a lot of perfectly nice members of the wizarding community made an exception this one time and used the Imperius curse on the town planners. Because there's no <laughs> other explanation for there just being a gap in their plan of Charing Cross Road. There was also there was that statue of Wizarding Secrecy Act or something that ha- that was passed in 1692, mm, the one. which then yeah. meant that the Muggles yeah couldn't go inside the pub anymore. So what so what happened with that? Would, would, did the Muggles just one day come to it and then go, oh no, the pub's gone, or was it something far more? Ominous that like a big cloud came down and they all forgot. She doesn't say. <laughs> or the rain in Fantastic Beasts, you know, oh, yeah. where it rains oh, yeah. and they all forget everything. Yeah, yeah. very convenient. Yeah, she rain. just doesn't say. I assume they went. Ah, that's gone. 
Um, <laughs> <a drink elsewhere. laughs> Somewhat anticlimactic, really. <laughs> ah. Where do we? Uh, where do we think is the leaky cauldron? Like, do we do we have a you know contenders for uh, what pub we might think is actually the real inspiration yeah. for the leaky cauldron? Because I have. I've okay. got a pub I could put money okay. on. Okay. Oh well, wow. uh, go on then, Alex. Why don't you uh, start us off? I just want to say as well, as muggles, we won't be able to see it anyway. But if mm. we were, uh, I think the most likely one would be the porcupine. That's an animal, not a pub. You're yeah. wrong. <laughs> it should be in the London Zoo episode. <laughs> Based partially on the fact it's at, uh, across the road from where in Half-Blood Prince, in the movie, the Death Eaters Fly Down, mm-hmm. it's the pub opposite there. So it's the closest pub to that. It's also the closest pub to the bookshops on Charing Cross Road. At one point, it was the favourite haunt of the local Freemasons. Yeah, that'd be mm. a yeah. Do you have uh, something to rival that, Greta? I do, I do. I have a rebuttal to that statement. So I think oh. it's the ye old... rotter. I am going to be your rotter. <laughs> uh, I think it's the ye old mitre. Well, it was built in 1547 and the Leaky Cauldron opened in the fi- early 1500s, I believe. Mm. It's also actually very hard to find, mm. despite the fact that it's under the muggles' noses because it's in a very officey area. And yet loads of people do not know it exists. It's a tiny little alleyway that you have to go down and then it's tucked away. And it's a brick alleyway that you can walk through and then there's another street the other side, which is very diagonal-esque. very much. It's such a good place. (laughs) It's a brilliant place. There's also, there's a tree inside there, which allegedly is where Elizabeth I actually danced around with Christopher Hatton inside the pub, Mm. which is very cool. And some people believe that Elizabeth I used to be in cahoots with witches. Now, of course, her mother was Anne Boleyn, who was deemed to be a witch. There's the portrait of Anne Boleyn in the um, the staircase where all the staircases mm-hmm. move in Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. You can see mm-hmm. her in the oh, yes. Philosopher's Stone, yeah. the trio walked past her. Uh, so it could have definitely passed down. Now, I know some people might be saying, but Greta, didn't she bring in the Witchcraft Act of 1563? Uh, Greta, well, she did. Did, didn't she bring in the Witchcraft <laughs> Act of 1573? <laughs> Oh, my Lord, Will, that question's completely blindsided me, but I do have an answer. <laughs> yes, she did. But, but it was believed that, some people believe that this was actually under pressure from the noblemen's. And she also, she employed John Dee, who's actually believed to be a sea witch. Or Will, do you I know about this? I love John Dee. <laughs> he also had the biggest magical library in Europe, which burnt down with his house. Ah, well, there you go. Well, yes, so some people believe that when the Spanish Armada was coming, that he conjured up some sort of, because people say that the storm that wrecked a lot of the Spanish Armada ships just off the coast of Ireland, in case anyone likes shipwrecks, <laughs> that it was a really long storm and it was very unusual for the time of year. And people believe that was because John Dee conjured it all up. And my final reasoning to think why the Yolmiter is actually the Leaky Cauldron is because it used to actually be part of Cambridge, not mm. London, even though it's based in London, because it was oh. part of Eli Place, which came under Cambridge. Oh, so I have been here. It has two <laughs> different addresses. Oh, well, that at the very end, it's like, oh, no, wait, yeah. I have been here. So very much like the Leaky Cauldron is one diagonally, mm. that Ye Old Mitre had two different addresses in two different places. Mm. So That's quite a strong Leaky argument. Cauldron, eh? that's it. It does legendarily good cheese toasties also. Well, there which you go. Quirrell really enjoys. <laughs> <laughs> Not Voldemort, though, so it's a very hard time. Yes. You know I'm lactose <laughs> Um, I did a little digging, and I found the other cauldron 
is in Ireland, in uh, the city of Limerick. Uh, and this is an actual pub called The Cauldron. Now, there is no evidence whatsoever that J.K. Rowling has ever been to Limerick, but... There's no evidence she hasn't been as well, so... <laughs> that won't stop us, though. There's, exactly, there's no evidence she hasn't, and making, Limer <laughs> making Limericks about Harry Potter has become a bit of an internet thing. In preparation, I made one myself. Oh. <laughs> there once yes. was a wizard named Harry, who Ginny Weaselly did marry. He had a cool scar and rode a flying car, and by Hagrid from the Forbidden Forest was carried. It's a, it's a fun game. I, I heartily recommend you try it. Uh, thank you. I, yes. Thank you. That's I, thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> that was uh, that was quite an impressive uh, impressive argument all round. Okay. okay, I rest wow. my case. Well, wow. I see your case, but my case is coming at you like a cobra. Oh and no, my... that's fine. <laughs> I know. My case <laughs> is that it's based, uh, it's quite a popular urban uh, myth here in, uh, I say here in Exeter, I'm not there anymore, but I went to uni, uh, Exeter University, wonderful place, a treasure trove of memories, as did, of course, the wonderful J.K. Rowling, and there is a particular uh, pub in Exeter called the Old Firehouse. Uh, it's kind of, you know, your typical like oak table, candle lit, full of barrels and stuff. It's really dark and sort of has that old rustic feel. They also have uh, wonderful, <laughs> uh, massive pizzas. It's kind of a staple of being a student at Exeter that you go and have a pizza at Firehouse. It's the thing you mm. do. So it's inconceivable that J.K. Rowling would not at some point have gone to Firehouse and had an old Firehouse pizza. Now, some might call this a disadvantage to my argument, but I think it's an advantage. <laughs> she categorically <laughs> denied that this was the inspiration for the Leaky Cauldron. <laughs> Which I think is okay. a case of the lady doth protest too much. And uh, she's actually trying to conceal how much she was inspired by... Nick, it's just some dog, isn't it? <laughs> At the end of the day, it's all a random dog. Just a random, a random dog. dog. I, okay, of the, of the four arguments, I, who do we think the winner is? Oh, oh. well, to be honest, Greta sold me with her. I, yes. I was swayed by Greta. I, I, I was going to say um, Yieldy Mitre and Greta got there first. Um, <laughs> my book goes well, to Greta. If Will says it, then it has to be. All right, so uh, we're agreed. The Oldie Mitre is as close as damn it to the Leaky Cauldron. Yes! yes. We solved yeah. the mystery. You guys. Take that, wizards. Well, before we wrap up, I have a random piece of nostalgia that I'd like to share with you guys, if I may. Mm. Does, does anyone remember when the first Harry Potter DVD came out? You could get the regular one and then you could get the special edition that had all these fun games that you could play on the DVD player yeah. when DVD Ooh, players it, were basic. It. Does anyone remember the brick tapping game? Yes. Oh my Lord, I could never get this. And I remember spending hours. It was ridiculous. It was yeah. crazy. If anyone yeah. has played this game, feel free to get in touch. And did anyone successfully complete it? Because I spent hours of my life tapping <laughs> the bricks and never got I, it right. I did, I did actually. I did you? with the friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because oh. there were other... I, I vaguely remember there were other things to do after it, I think. Well, I didn't get to um, that, I'm Alex, because I couldn't tap the right bricks. <laughs> well, well it, it was basically going through the journey of the story, I think, and he ended at the Mirror of Erised, uh, and there was a prize at the end of it, which was very exciting. Mm, but... Did you never know what the prize was? No, I never got there. Oh, no. I was still stuck well, in the leaky cauldron. 
You got the philosopher's stone. Oh. No. Uh, no, they were deleted scenes uh, from the movie, uh, which you can now see <laughs> easily. <laughs> like, it's no longer special. But at the time, because it was the first DVD I ever owned. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so it was actually really quite unusual to have this sort of option. So I think maybe back then they didn't really know what to do with deleted scenes. Mm. So, like, so they decided to make it a challenge. Yeah. Great. Too much of a challenge, apparently. That's weird that you, like, if you uh, didn't yeah. complete the game, you wouldn't get... The extra scenes, which you've technically paid yeah. for, so it's kind of a <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. only you'd been there, Nick, then you would have helped me out with all the different types of bricks. It would have. Been- yeah. Do you want me to list the types of brick again? Oh yeah. No. <laughs> Refer to episode one. No. To know about bricks. Uh, but <laughs> do the but, outro. Uh, do the outro. Do the outro. Okay. Uh, so well, yes, that rounds us off nicely, doesn't it? So thanks for listening this week uh, and raising glass with us in the leaky cauldron. Come along on a tour once we're back on the streets uh, and see the real filming locations with us, which we've mentioned a bit of today. If you enjoyed following Harry's journey, uh, then don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, so you can catch up with us next time as our wanderlust takes us through the leaky cauldron and beyond the bricks that have clearly baffled Greta all these years uh, (laughs) into Diagon Alley. A special thank you to BB, who gave us some special insights uh, into the day of filming. And uh, yeah, we will see you next time. From everyone here, mischief managed. (laughs) 